1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. If you hear someone mention the term spiritual gifts, maybe uh, you're one of the many Christians who might run for the hills, because we tend to avoid speaking about these things, don't we? We tend to be perhaps in those set of top five taboo subjects that you don't raise among a group of Christians who might have varied views about different things. Remember when I was a student, it was certainly up there as one of the things uh, that just really weren't spoken about. We do that because perhaps we think that the teaching of the scriptures is unclear about spiritual gifts, or perhaps we're concerned about something being divisive or just awkward knowing the range of views that Christians can hold on these things. But in light of all that, it should therefore encourage us um, and perhaps challenge us that that in verse 1, it is very clear that God does not want us to be confused about spiritual gifts. Because if you look down there in verse 1 of the chapter, Paul says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So, God does not want us to avoid these subject, this subject and so know little about it, which is often the outcome. He wants us to be equipped to understand the teaching that he has for us on the gifts of the Spirit. Now, being honest, there can be problems in talking about this subject because of the range of views. But the solution is not to avoid addressing it but rather to look and to see the clear teaching of Scripture on this important subject. And we're stepping into this section in 1 Corinthians where there is a lot of clear teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. In chapters 12 to 14, uh, Paul is in a wider section addressing aspects of gathered worship. But in 12 to 14, Paul is particularly going to teach very focused way about the gifts of the Spirit. And we can miss just how clear his teaching is. 
And sometimes uh, folks can get fixated on some of the details whilst missing the bigger picture. And so perhaps as they look at verses 8 to 10 and read of those nine different gifts of the Spirit, we wonder what each of those individual gifts uh, might look like and what it might mean. But that is not the focus of the question that Paul is seeking to answer in this passage. It's not where he wants us to focus And one of the things we must avoid as Christians, as we study God's word, is focusing not on the questions that we want to be answered, but rather the questions that God wants us to know the answers to. Because very often we look for the things we want to answer, whereas rather saying, what is the passage teaching us? What questions, what key things are being taught here? And that is what Paul is doing. Paul is laying clear foundations at the start of chapter 12 for spiritual gifts. And as he moves on through the chapters, he will give more detail. But here, as we look at chapter 12, we're going to see clear foundations. But as we begin, you you might wonder, what are spiritual gifts? What are the gifts of the Spirit? I'm going to use both, both terms interchangeably. Well, here are two definitions from two Bible teachers Tom Schreiner describes uh, gifts of the Spirit as gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for edification, that means building up, in the church. Or John MacArthur says that spiritual gifts are special capacities given to believers to equip them to minister supernaturally to one another. Slightly different, but very similar definitions. There are four main passages in the New Testament where you have lists of spiritual gifts. The four are in Romans chapter 12. There are two parts of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 as well. And then Ephesians chapter 4. And as Bible scholars look at those four passages, they find broadly 15 gifts. Some of them are uh, roles that have gifts to equip them, uh, and some are just uh, just stated as gifts. So we find that we have apostles, prophets, evangelists. We have discerning between spirits. We have teaching, exhorting, working of miracles, gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, Giving, faith, and mercy. Those are the 15 gifts that we find across those four passages. Now, evangelical Christians differ as to which of those gifts continue, as some seem to have a specific purpose that is now ended. But broadly speaking, everyone thinks some have come to an end and ceased to function. Because if you think about the very first gift, that of being an apostle and the apostolic gifting, Very few evangelicals will say, we still have apostles today. So all would say that some have come to an end, I think, or the vast majority would say some have come to an end. But then there's disagreement as to how many continue to be functioning in the church today because they had a specific purpose that has now ended. Now, we'll get into some of that as we come into chapter 14, but that's not the main focus of our passage tonight. The main focus of our passage this evening is to be not confused but rather clearly informed about spiritual gifts. So my prayer for us all as we leave this evening is that we might be clear 
in all that Paul has for us here and God has for us here to know about the gifts of the Spirit and how they're given for the glory of God and the building up of the church. We've got five things we're going to highlight from this passage as we seek to be clear about spiritual gifts. And the first is this, that God gives spiritual gifts. God gives spiritual gifts. Where do we see that? Well, look with me at verse 4. Let's see it in the text where we read this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. That's God the Holy Spirit giving spiritual gifts. And if you jump down to verses 8 through to 10, where there are those nine varied gifts mentioned, we see um, in verse 8, if you look at the verse there, it says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the Spirit, coming by means of the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. You see the repeated refrain that the gifts come by means of the Spirit, verse 8, or by the one Spirit, verse 9. And then Paul summarizes it all, There in verse 11, where he says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He and he distributes them. So the gifts of the Spirit come from the Lord God. He gives them. They do not come from me. I don't work them up inside of me. They are not inherited biologically or genetically from my parents. They are not bestowed upon me by others who give them to me in that sense. They are the gifts of the Lord. And since the Lord God is the source, the giver of gifts, the ultimate purpose for all of the gifts of the Spirit is to glorify God. Because that is God's ultimate goal in everything that he does, is it not? And that helps understand what Paul is getting to in verses 2 and 3. Perhaps as you heard it read, you were wondering... Well, what is Paul speaking about there when he says, you know that when you were pagans, some, uh, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by d- to dumb idols. Therefore I, do not, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What is Paul doing there? Paul is there giving a litmus test to identify True spiritual gifts. He's giving one of the litmus tests. And it's this, that if the gift seems to deny Christ's lordship, then it cannot be from God. Or if it affirms and declares Christ's lordship and makes much of Jesus Christ, then it could be from the Lord. Now that matters because In Corinth in particular, there were plenty of things going on that could have looked like spiritual gifts, but they were not from God. And so in pagan worship in the temples, there were ecstatic unknown speech that would be spoken by different people, and it all sounded very spiritual, but it wasn't from the Lord. There were oracles you could go to who would would speak words of what they said was prophecy about the future, claiming to speak about the future. But Paul says they are not coming from the Lord because they do not exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the source of those those things is not the Lord. In fact, it is dumb idols, end of verse 2. Which as we saw in chapter 10, Paul links to demons and he wants us to avoid those. 
And none of those demons will want to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. That implies two things in seeing the spirits, the spiritual gifts come from God and they exalt Christ. It implies in this warning that there are counterfeits about. That spiritual gifts are a great blessing from God and they are valuable and so they will always want to be copied. Demons will seek to deceive the people of God. And so the second implication, if there are counterfeits, must be that we need to be discerning about spiritual gifts in general and about spiritual experiences. People are being deceived in our day too. Now just because people today, fewer people today believe in demons, doesn't mean they aren't deceiving many. They're very happy for people not to think that they are a problem. So let's apply this test. When we see spiritual gifts and we judge, is this coming from the Lord? Does it make much of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or does it not? We are not to judge by self-authentication. Does it feel true? Does it feel powerful? Does it feel good? We are to judge by an objective standard. Does it bring glory to Christ? Spiritual gifts come from the Lord and bring glory to Christ. But then the second thing Paul tells us is that God gives you a spiritual gift. This passage and many others are extremely clear that no Christian, no Christian is excluded from God's distribution and all have at least one spiritual gift. Now let's look back at the text and see where that is. Look down with me at verse 7 where we read... Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Note the first part of the verse. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. No Christian is excluded. And then he jumped down to verse 11 and we read something similar. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one. And that phrase... To each one means that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift to contribute to the life of the people of God. No one is excluded. So this is not like sport, where some people are very sporty, some people are fairly sporty, and some people don't want to go anywhere near sport at all. This is not like music or art where somebody are really gifted in those ways. Some people are fairly gifted in those ways and some people have no gifts in those ways. It's not like that. Every Christian here this evening has a spiritual gift. And our responsibility before the Lord is to discern our spiritual gift. It could be one, it might be more. Now, common question that might come then is, how then do I discover my gifts? Now, much is written about this, but little is helpful because Scripture does not give us a process, and so I think we should be very careful not to be prescriptive about this. But we can uh, learn from mature believers, and the mature believers I've heard speak about this would say, that you discover your spiritual gifts as you serve. So if you discover that you have an evangelistic gift, where do you find that you have it? You find you have it as you go about the work of evangelism in the church. Or perhaps you only have a teaching gift. How does it become clear? 
Well, it becomes clear as you are asked to teach. And so, I don't think it's helpful for us to sit and perhaps wait for a eureka moment where the Lord might suddenly disclose our gifts to us, nor is it helpful to hold off doing anything until we know how we're gifted. If we want to know what our spiritual gift or gifts may be, we are to roll up our sleeves, get stuck in and involved in church life, and start serving, and gifts will become clear to us and to others. God gives you a spiritual gift. Let us seek to discern it. Thirdly, we've seen that God gives spiritual gifts. He gives them to you. But then thirdly, we see that God gifts with variety. God gives with variety. Different gifts are shared around the people of God. Now, where do we see that? We see that in a number of ways in the passage. If you look down Again, at that list in verses 8 to 10, in this deliberately varied list of nine gifts, we see that individual Christians are given different gifts. They are shared around. Look at verse, seven, uh, look at verse, um, verse 8 to 10, where you have this repeated frame, to one there is given this gift, to another this gift, to another this gift, to another, this gift. Do you see the point that Paul is making? He is saying gifts are not clumped together and only given to one or a few. They are shared in a varied way among the people of God. Paul does that seven times in those verses, to one and another. But not only that, are they shared among the people of God, the gifts themselves are different. They're not all the same. Verses 4 to 7 is abund- are abundantly clear about this. Look there at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's a lovely sense of the triune God doing this if you look at verses five, 4, 5, and 6, because you have the Spirit distributing, you have the same Lord opening avenues of service, and you have the same God giving uh, fruit and working in us and through us. And there's a lovely reminder here that there are three ways in which God loves to work in varied ways. He loves to work in varied ways in giving varied gifts to his people. He loves to work in varied ways by giving different opportunities to serve with our gifts. And he loves to work in varied ways by giving different outcomes as we serve. If you look at verse 4, you have the varied gifts. There are different gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. If you look at verse 5, you have the varied opportunities. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord opening up those opportunities. And if you want to see the results, look at verse 6. There are different kinds of working, or the word might be that results. But in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So you have the gifts and the opportunities and the outcomes all varied among the people of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means, very simply, that we should not expect to have the same gifts as others, because God's distribution is varied. We should not imagine that we must serve in the same ways as others, because there are different kinds of service, ways, opportunities of working. And then also, we should not expect that the results will be the same, because there are different kinds of workings, 
different kinds of outcome, different kinds of results. Paul is driving home here that the God of heaven, the triune God, delights in variety and difference. You know, in creation, he creates with great variety. I found out this week that there are no less than 17,500 different species of butterfly. Isn't that astonishing? I think I could recognize 10 different species not from mine, but to distinguish them. But God delights in 17,500 different species of butterfly. God delights in variety. And the same is true of gifts, of opportunities for service, and of outcome. The Lord delights in this variety. And so, friends, to be very practical, what does that mean? It means that we should not compare ourselves to others. In our gifts, in our opportunities, and in the results that comes from that. We can't and we shouldn't do that. Instead, our priority should be to learn to flourish using our spiritual gifts with the opportunities that God gives us, leaving the results to him. Now, can I put it to you that if you live that way in your service of the Lord, that will lead to great contentment. Because what does it mean? It means I do not need to be the same or like someone else. Because God's made me different. And he's delighted to do that. I remember the first time I heard that, that was so freeing. And it was so refreshing to be reminded of that principle this week. And we need to hear that because so much else in our world is about competition and comparison. Think about it, education, sports, the workplace, parenting, among our neighbors. But in terms of spiritual gifts, we are not to compete because God's given different gifts with different opportunities and different outcomes. And we are not to compare. And rather rather than giving our energies to a frustrated discontentment that can come from competing and comparing, We are to give them to useful service. Tom Schreiner puts it like this. Seek to bloom where you are planted. With the gifts God has given you. In the settings in which he has called you to serve. Looking to him to give the increase and the outcome. God gifts with variety. But then fourthly, God gives as he chooses. God gives as he chooses. Building on this idea of variety, the allocation of spiritual gifts among the people of God is God's choice and not ours. Where do we see that? Look down with me at verse 11. That is abundantly clear where Paul says, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one, last four words, just as he determines just as he determines. So what does that mean? Well, it means that God, as it comes to spiritual gifts, does not follow democratic principles in his distribution. You know, where you have one member, one vote, that is not how God works in terms of the allocation of gifts. It's not one Christian and one gift. It's as he determines. It means that God is not egalitarian, where gifts must be equally shared among all. He gives gifts as he determines. And if we look at church history, 
you will see again and again that God delights to do that. I've been reading this week J.C. Ryle's Christian Leaders of the 18th Century, which has really blessed my heart to um, see all the ways in which God was working. And I was struck and humbled and, um, uh, and then rebuked, having thought about what I was going to preach on, <laughs> when I heard the story of George Whitfield. Because George Whitfield, in his life, preached 18,000 sermons. That's the estimate. Before he died at the age of 54. Astonishing thing, isn't it? He preached many days, twice a day. Some Christians are extraordinarily gifted. And God's delights to do that. That's his prerogative. <laughs> it's as he determines. He often has purposes in that. Because if you think, in the 18th century, what was God doing? God was working through these extraordinarily gifted Christians to bring about revival. And as Andy prayed for us in the service this morning, how we need that today, how we should be praying for revival and that gifts would be given, that, that men might preach with similar power like George Whitfield's. God gifts as he chooses. But if his distribution of his gifts among the people of God are not just varied, but according to his will, then that addresses two very specific struggles that we can struggle with. It addresses the challenge of being puffed up about our gifts. Perhaps because they are more public or perhaps because they are greater in number. Well, if it's God's determination, then that should kill our pride, should it not, friends? Because it comes from the Lord. But it also should address that sense of inadequacy we can have about our gifts. Perhaps because they're unseen or they're fewer in number, but they're in God's hands, that distribution. And that we can guard our hearts against that sense of inferiority, which sometimes can be a kind of inverted pride. Because one of our common mistakes is to assign value and worth from the gifts that we have. We think our value to the Lord and our value to the people of God is a function of the gifts that we have been given. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Now, now it's understandable how we can do that because in a business world, what happens, our position and our salary band reflects the value and worth that we bring to the company. But if God gives as he chooses, friends, there is no place for equating our value with our gifts. In fact, at heart, what is problematic here is that we have forgotten that these are free grace gifts. That they are genuinely free and graciously given. They are not earned. They are not a measure of anything in ourselves. We need to recognize, as one author puts it, the givenness, the true givenness of these gifts. Now that's hard because even as we think about the way gifts function in our worlds. They are rarely given independently and freely. Very often, a gift is a measure of a relationship and the strength of that relationship or in a measure of the significance of an event. So think about it. So a birthday. When you give a gift at a birthday, what determines that gift? Well, maybe it's the nature of your relationship to that person. Maybe it's the significance of the birthday milestone that it might be. You're going to do something 
more significant for a 50th birthday than you might give for a 49th. But even at other times, the magnitude of the occasion determines the gift. There is a difference between the gift that we give at a wedding and the gift that you give if you're invited to lunch. But spiritual gifts are not given like that, friends. They are free grace gifts. They're freely given. And we need to remember the givenness of the gifts. Because as we see that, there is again so much freedom in this. God does not value you according to the gifts that you have been given. We should not value each other according to spiritual gifts. All the value we need is demonstrated at the cross where the Son of God gave himself for us. That is where we see how we matter in God's sight because God loved us so much that he gave his one and only Son for us. So instead of comparing ourselves to others, we are to steward the gifts that we have been given, recognizing the reason for which they have been given. And here's our fifth and final point. God gives for the good of others. We've seen that God gives gifts to you with variety as he chooses according to his will, and then fifthly and finally, for the good of others. And we see this very clearly in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Gifts are not given for my good, Gifts are given for the good of the body of the people of God. And in Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13, we learn that this common good is the building up of the church to bring maturity and stability to the people of God. So the purpose of God giving you gifts is to bless, to build up, to bring stability, to bring strength to the church. Now, that is so important because the great idol in our day that we have to be so alert to is the idol of the self. People worship and serve themselves. And so as we come to spiritual gifts, the great temptation is to take that kind of selfishness and apply it to our service. But we must not think selfishly about our gifts. We must never think, I must be able to serve like this. I must be able to serve in order to be fulfilled. I must be able to serve in order to find joy. I must be able to serve in order to be built up spiritually. That is not what the scripture teaches. We serve to build up the body. We serve that others might be strong in Christ. We serve to bring glory to Christ. We serve to mirror the attitude of John the Baptist who said what? I must decrease so that he will increase. So instead of being inward and serving for selfish reasons, we are to turn outward and ask, how can we use our gifts for the good of the body? Now the reality is, friends, to be creaturely is to be constrained. We have limited time, we have limited energy. And so we should ask, how can I best serve others within the church body? with the gifts that I've been given so that they, we might all grow into maturity as we all serve to build each other up. 
You know, a friend uh, called me this last week to ask me what I was doing in one area of financial planning. Uh, we speak quite a lot, we're good friends, but he rarely asked me about finances. We talk about other things. In fact, as I thought about it afterwards, he only asked me about finances about once a year. And I realized the reason he does it is about this time of the year, he uses the opportunity to review his finances so that he might steward them wisely and well. And friends, perhaps as we work through this section in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, maybe that could be a bit of a review for us about our spiritual gifts. To weigh up, what gifts have I been given? To weigh up, how am I using the gifts that I've been given? And to think how we might use those gifts for the common good, so that the body of Christ might be built up and strong in him. Now, as we continue through the chapter, we're going to see Paul has much more to say about this subject. He will particularly next time, as we look at the second half of chapter 12, speak to us about the varied gifts within the body and of how, therefore, we should think about ourselves and others in light of the great variety of spiritual gifts. But that's for next week. This week, what do we want to remember? Five things. God gives spiritual gifts. He gives a spiritual gift to you. He gives with great variety. He gives according to his will. And he gives that you and I might serve for the good of others.